Hello and welcome to this special Red Box podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, joined this week by Tim Shipman, political editor of the Sunday Times. Tim, Britain has voted to leave the European Union. Just digest that for a moment. Whether you're in favour or against, few people actually thought it would happen. But from an opinion poll last night declaring that Remain would win at 10 o'clock to Britain backing Brexit by four in the morning with 51.8% of the vote, uh, it's been quite a night. We were warned of the consequences of a leave vote, and they've been immediate and dramatic. The stock market is in turmoil, the pound is at a 30-year low against the dollar, but this is a political crisis too. Boris Johnson and Michael Gove now face having to actually implement the Brexit they campaigned for. Nigel Farage embarks on a never-ending victory lap. Nicola Sturgeon demands a second vote on Scottish independence. There's a vote no confidence has been issued against Jeremy Corbyn, but the most significant event of the day so far came when David Cameron emerged from number 10 with his wife, Samantha, by his side, to deliver a long-awaited statement on his humiliating defeat. His voice cracking, he choked back tears as he confirmed that after six years, he would now stand down as Prime Minister. I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. This is not a decision I've taken lightly, but I do believe it's in the national interest to have a period of stability and then the new leadership required. There is no need for a precise timetable today, but in my view, we should aim to have a new Prime Minister in place by the start of the Conservative Party conference in October. I've said before that Britain can survive outside the European Union, and indeed that we could find a way. Now the decision has been made to leave, we need to find the best way. And I will do everything I can to help. I love this country, and I feel honoured to have served it. And I will do everything I can in future to help this great country succeed. Thank you very much. So, Tim, I was there in Downing Street this morning, having waited about two and a half hours for this statement. You got the real sense that there was drama going on behind the the black door that we were all staring at for such a long time. Pretty extraordinary stuff. I mean, it was sort of slightly reminiscent of Margaret Thatcher, I thought. You know, I mean, the voice was cracking. There were tears pretty close to welling up there. Um, we've, you know, you and I have had some pretty interesting days in our career. I thought watching Barack Obama become the first black president of America or that crazy night in 2000 when looked like Al Gore was, looked like George Bush was present, then Al Gore, then George Bush again, the leadership of the free world passing, you know, on hanging chads. I thought those were pretty amazing days, but this is this is something beyond that, I think. It was, I thought it was really, uh, I was really struck that as his voice was cracking as it did in that clip, and then he turned to, to Samantha and then really turned her so that neither of them looked again at the cameras and they walked through the door. There was no wave at the door, and I think probably by the time they got to the door... They were blubbing, They were I blubbing. And, uh, yeah. But it is, it is extraordinary. that This is the guy who won a general election just over a year ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, 414 days. I did want to put it into one of those amazing <laughs> interweb things this morning. Yeah. You know, 414 days ago, he was the first Tory Prime Minister with a majority in 23 years, and now he's out on his ear. I mean, politics is a rough old trade. A lot of people say, you know, a lot of it was his fault, but uh, it's hard on a human level not to look at that. And, you know, those of us who have spent any time with him on foreign trips or watching him in action know that, you know, he does love his country, he does take his duty quite seriously in a way that not a lot of politicians do. And, yeah, I would imagine it's been a pretty horrendous uh, morning. I was struck as well, in in his speech, there was a section where he talked about the things he'd done uh, putting the economy back on track, making it a more open, uh, successful, multiracial country, gay marriage, which he always makes a point of mentioning. This is that's what he wanted his legs. I mean, it won't be now, but that's what he wanted his legs to be. No, I mean, I interviewed him a week ago, and I said, "You don't want to be the guy, you know, who the first line of your epitaph is you take us out of the EU." And he said, "Well, you know, I'm not planning on losing, and I'm not planning on dying, but all political careers end in failure, and this one has ended 
uh, pretty abruptly. Um, you know, and the guy spent quite a lot of time earlier in the year mapping out speeches. You know, we know if he'd managed to hang on and win this thing, however narrowly, that there would have been, you know, a load more bills, this whole life chances agenda. He wanted to cement one nation Toryism. Um, and at the end of the day, he hasn't really succeeded in doing that. And so what happens now? We're now moving to the Tory leadership contest immediately because that's what we're like. Thanks very much for that, Tories. Another summer goes for a Burton journalist's all whinge and moan. And... So, so let's, let's, let's wrap them up. Boris, obviously. Yeah, I mean, Boris has been running for about two years, hasn't he? I mean, I think what you, you probably won't see Boris and, and the other big hitters emerge immediately. You might get a few other people chancing their arm over the weekend. Uh, Boris, everybody knows Boris is running. And what this contest basically boils down to is... You know, is the Boris camp bigger than the stop Boris camp? Um, but the rules being what they are, in order to keep him off the ballot paper, you need two stop Borises, and it's quite difficult at the moment to see where two might be coming from. Now, one of the interesting things, Theresa May, almost totally invisible in this campaign, apart from one very late intervention on freedom of Entirely movement. Entirely by design. Presumably she now... She is, is the, the other big unity. Hitter. Yeah, she, I mean, people who don't like Boris Johnson and can just about stomach uh, a safe pair of hands grown up are going to be lining up behind Theresa May. There will be other bits of the party that will think, you know, we need someone there representing ourselves. The sort of, you know, the right uh, will probably think it wants a candidate of its own, or at least there'll be certain people on the right who, who fancy having another go. The, the, you know, the sort of hardcore old left one nation people who will think that Boris Johnson may not be quite ready to to carry their flag um, may may have a think as well um, but if it looks like it's Boris or nobody you will see a lot of people lining up behind Theresa May to at least make it a viable contest and George Osborne uh, his much publicised leadership ambitions now as I, dead I, as David Cameron's I, I, I mean I, it's almost inconceivable I mean to see him uh, giving it a go now um, you know he's been so closely tied to the entire Cameron project the people that don't like Cameron a lot of them dislike Osborne more they blame him <laughs> for all the sort of dodgy promotions and reshuffles yeah. the, 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 the handing out of cash and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and all that sort of thing yeah I mean you know George has been running a, an effective sort of operation much more of an operation actually in the House of Commons than Cameron has ever run uh, but he's put a lot of backs up you know in terms of this campaign he is very closely associated with the, the main parts of it that people feel you know didn't land very well. I mean, yes, they did get people concerned about the economy, but almost all the specifics that Osborne wheeled out, I'm told, po- polled really badly in the focus groups. You know, the 4,300 hit to your family that the Treasury put out, you know, six weeks ago, that, you know, was widely disbelieved, and, and, and Osborne is blamed for that. And the, the what happened last week, with his emergency budget stuff, was absolutely explosive on the Tory side. They just yeah, they were people furious a, about it. Yeah, and and that that felt like the point where he was probably done for, regardless of the outcome. Well, he may well have been done for, even if if, if Cameron had managed to edge over the line and get a Remain vote. Yeah. You know, there were people going around a couple of days ago saying, well, look, we've got budget votes on Monday, and it only takes about eight Tory rebels to effectively mean you can't pass a budget. And if they'd said, yeah, yeah. you know, we don't want this Chancellor passing a Tory budget, we'd rather have somebody else, his position would have been untenable anyway. So who else is there? There's, there's, so we've got Theresa May and Boris. Nicky Morgan's let it be known again. Nicky Morgan, I think, will try, will possibly, will, he's the most important person in that sort of wing of, of the left of yeah. the party. Stephen Crabb, the, the Work and Pension Secretary, is widely talked about. He's someone, I think, if this contest had been in two or three years' time, uh, might well have been a, a decent contender. He's got, yeah, got yeah. a great, great backstory. But the, but the extraordinary thing about this is that 
you know, for almost the first time ever, we are picking a prime minister straight out of the box, you know, in three months' time. And it's got to be someone who is immediately looks like they could cope on the world stage. And Well, increasingly, they've got to, they inherit this great mess yeah. of trying to negotiate with, uh, with Brussels. One thing that... Um, I should have said before is that if you are watching on Facebook Live, then you can. Uh, if you've got any questions about the referendum, we will do our best to try and answer them. So, if you have got some questions about what's happened overnight, what it what it means now politically, what it might mean for you or the economy, uh, post them in the uh, comment section, and we'll uh, we'll try and get to them. You uh, you've just come from the Boris event. Yeah, I, Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, and Gisela Stewart, the the leading Labour light in the in the out campaign, have just done their statements. Uh, it was an interesting uh, event. Um, Gisela uh, effectively called for Jeremy Corbyn to resign in a sort of coded way. <laughs> Boris then stood up um, and praised David Cameron and showed, I think, the benefits of the media training that he's had for his uh, debate. Uh, performances. Yeah. Um, he looked pretty solid. He spoke quite slowly. There was none of none of the usual flourishes. You know, the guy is desperate to look like a leader, and I think this morning he probably pulled that off. Michael Gove stood up and looked like he just shot his own brother. Um, you know, this is not just a, a Tory party battle. This is the Notting Hill set torn asunder. Uh, Michael Gove, with the exception of George Osborne, is David Cameron's best friend in politics, and you know, it looks like. You know, fratricide, frankly. And Michael Gove, frankly, looked pretty shocked this morning. He, he looked like a guy who was sort of thinking to himself, what on earth have I done? This, this feels a bit like a lot of people, you know, people, certainly people in Westminster didn't necessarily think it was going to happen. Certainly some people in the Vote Leave camp, and Michael Gove probably even falls into this, thought it was the right principle thing to do, but probably didn't necessarily expect it to happen. No, and it's ebbed and flowed a bit for those guys. I think their initial thought was we must do the right thing mm. and you know stand up for our principles. Gabe's a very principled guy on this. I think about two weeks ago they had a kind of, goodness gracious, we might actually win this thing. But by last weekend, that was beginning to ebb away again. And yeah. certainly going into it on the night, I think, you know, for the last 48 hours, it's quite difficult to find anybody in Vote Leave who was optimistic. Um, and until those... You know, they were getting sort of feedback through the day, which had encouraged them. But it was only really when you got the Newcastle and Sunderland results, which showed that they were doing six, seven points better than anyone had expected, and then their own models had expected that yeah. they realised that this thing was on. Nigel Farage in all this, he's he's been well. Last night at ten o'clock, he declared he basically conceded defeat and announced that he thought that Remain had edged it. And then he sort of, in the space of five minutes, seemed to U-turn all that. Yeah, I've got here on my wrist. This is the you access you were there. to the vote.leave.eu party where Farage turned up to give his third different statement in about <laughs> half an hour on whether this thing was uh, up or down. But he's, I mean, he's clearly, he knows that this is a sort of, this is also a point of maximum risk for him because he can rightly claim credit for the referendum happening. Yep. He can't really claim credit for the fact that we voted out because he was sidelined in most of the campaign. And the people at Vote Leave are absolutely adamant that Nigel Farage was a net loss for their campaign and that the poster he put out, you know, there are a lot of people breaking who were... Point. Con- yeah, this is the, the breaking point, breaking point immigration, immigration poster. poster. Uh, you know, there were a lot of people who were concerned about immigration, but it, that put off some people who might have been prepared to vote for them. And they, they think they would have done even better without Farage. And his stuff last night about how uh, they'd won without a single bullet being fired was... I think in I mean, an evening for a man of even known for being, you know, tasteless and whatever. I mean, even that for him, that 
there were, there were you know, we're a pretty cynical lot, us hacks, but I think there were a few gasps at that point. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, don't make a speech at quarter past four after a skimful, you know, is the lesson there, I think. <laughs> we're still quite well up until this point. And then today he's going around declaring it a bank holiday, as if he's now the sort of, like, as if he's the Prime Minister. Was actually, he's, the big risk for him is he he plays no part at all in the in the. I think a cynical Remainer might look at an extra bank holiday as, yes, here is the proof of lower GDP. We will work one day less a year in order to have a day off in order to celebrate Independence Day. Now, the, I mean, the thing for Farage, there is an opportunity for him. You know, if you go back to the general election, UKIP finished second in 40 or 50 Tory, uh, Labour seats in the north of England. Uh, they have basically turned those people into, you know, sort of effective UKIP voters by getting to, the, to back Brexit. Nigel Farage now needs to show that he can run that party as something that can go and take advantage of that and become maybe a, a third force like the Lib Dems used to be in British politics. But a lot of people don't think he'll do that because he prefers to run the party as a sort of PR outfit for himself rather than as a, you know, an integrated operation. Well, in fact, one of the questions has already come in, Andrew Dunn, saying, is it the end for Nigel Farage? Uh, where does he go next? And I'm going to say he's technically out of a job. He will be eventually as an MEP. Well, indeed, yeah. Dan Hannan's been going around saying, you know, vote for my unemployment. You know, that's the one job loss we can all countenance. No, I mean, Farage will, you know, will trade on this for quite some time. I and think. then try and get in the Commons. Well, he might have another crack at the Commons. Um, it's, uh, Is it I mean, six? Seven? How many, how many goes seven, seven, seven goes so far. failed attempts to get in the House of Commons so far. But, you know, there may be seats in, in, in the north. You know, why go and run in Sunderland? You know, that looks like a place that he might he might have some traction. But, uh, you know, I think Nigel probably actually uh, would be much more interested in the seat in the House of Lords if that were to go this way, <laughs> which wouldn't require him to... I thought he was against an elected elites ruling over us. I, I think there the are whole... quite a lot of people who are against it until the tap on their <laughs> shoulder and, you know, go and get yourself some dead cat, strap that on and uh, sit, sit yourself on the red benches. Let's move on to Jeremy Corbyn. Do let's. Because it is amazing, because it, it feels like so, there's so much has happened in yeah. the last 24 hours. Oh, a Labour Party the coup Labour, against the leader now. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nib. It's page beer. 96. <laughs> Do put, yeah, just put a line in to say that the Labour Party is about to tear itself in half. Yeah. Possibly permanently. Yeah, it's going to be one exposed, par in the splash on Having Sunday. being exposed totally in its heartlands. Yeah. The, 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 the Labour Party does not speak to... Anywhere outside metropolitan? No, it's very difficult. Labour was founded on sort of the three pillars of uh, you know sort of posh North London intellectuals, the public uh, sort of public service workers, and the trade unions. And right now, uh, Corbyn is not on great terms with the trade unions um, and has lost the working class vote. It's it's astonishing, really. But you know, we've watched a lot of Jeremy Corbyn, and he has shown himself to be relatively impervious to political reality on a number of occasions <laughs> and one you know you what it will take to actually get rid of him and um, the Labour Party rules are quite Byzantine you know it's not even clear that a you know a vote of no confidence would probably only spark a contest in which he was able to participate the really interesting thing would be whether John McDonnell the shadow it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Councillor, who's a little bit more of a realist, taps him on the shoulder and says, game's up, mate, uh, and that probably would do it. Um, but uh, but the idea no that John, I, although I think John McDonald's a better operator politically, he's probably not necessarily to the taste of the Labour MPs who are trying to get... No, I mean, he's less Corbyn. popular with the Labour MPs than Corbyn. I yeah. mean, McDonald has a reputation as being fairly abrasive. He's also on the, the key issue where they've lost the votes uh, on immigration. You know, McDonald was only last week was attending a sort of open borders rally urging, you know, more people <laughs> to come in, which I don't think is what the people of Sunderland were voting for. No, I think that's probably right. Um, uh, we've had another question about Jeremy Corbyn from Matt V, uh, who says, who could replace Jeremy Corbyn if the motion of no confidence passed? I mean, that in itself is a big if but part of the problem that Labour Party's got is there isn't anyone no I there mean, wasn't it, anyone last summer I mean that's why he won yeah I mean you know and in the absence of an alternative individual it, it may be that he survives I mean McDonnell will try and have a go there are different factions you know the old right Tom Watson the deputy leader I think would fancy a period at least as a caretaker and then you know he's got a lot of ability to put a sort of team from across the party together to make that happen and then you get the sort of you know the younger generation casting around Dan Jarvis the former army officer you know is always digital democracy he's gonna you know as someone said um a lot of character and not so much personality uh, and that's well, I don't know, why, why didn't anyone do what Jim Murphy did in Scotland in, and during the independence campaign in, in Scotland Jim Murphy went around on a crate yep. and made himself the roll your sleeves up make the case for I don't know why David Cameron didn't do that frankly it worked yeah. for John Major in 1992 but why, why wasn't there someone in the Labour Party who wanted to challenge Corbyn yep. who just went and did a hundred events and looked like the, the guy and looked yep. like the guy and that guy now could be packing out Trafalgar Square that's today. true Dan Jarvis should have done that frankly um, you know there are lots of people who've been sitting around I think uh, thinking we must build an intellectual platform that when we have a leadership contest we can then present our wares to the new leader you get people like Tristan Hunt and Chukaramon yeah. who are thinking about that but nobody at the moment writing, thinks they're that they're ready to that nobody yep. will read yep. pointing out the bleeding obvious which is that Labour Party hasn't spoken to anyone properly well and again you listen to every Labour politician over the last 12 hours as well every single one of them says yes we must listen yes we haven't listened enough to these people it's a wake up call and then you sort of ask them well what are you going to do about it and it's like well we can't obviously you know close the borders or do anything like this and there's just no intellectual thought been going on on this issue on the left for properly for you know 20 years and again their big problem is going to be and the Labour Party had this when the coalition was formed they've had it actually since the general election because of uh, the EU referendum happening, is how do they punch through all this? You know, they are going to be the bottom last nib of politics, again, for months and months and possibly years. Yeah, it's very difficult to be a government, but it's often more difficult to be an opposition. And to be an opposition that was once in government and accept the fact that you just saying something isn't that interesting to journalists. This has been part of Corbyn's problem. You know, he doesn't have a narrative about what he's trying to achieve for the country. He doesn't package up stories like political parties normally do to illustrate the kind of things they're trying to do, the kind of policies they're looking at. All Corbyn does is state what he's believed in for the last 30 years relentlessly. Uh, and and really people, boringly. And yeah, it's, it's quite boring and it doesn't interest journalists because we've heard it all before. You know, as a Sunday newspaper journalist, 
this guy is out every single Saturday doing an event. And normally that would be manna from heaven for a Sunday mm. journalist. You'd go along, when he said something interesting, you'd write it up as a page lead, breaking news, and every single week you send along, you watch Jeremy Corbyn say the same thing he said about Cuba or the poor or the <laughs> Middle East peace process or whatever you know thing it is he's gone along to, and it, and it never, ever makes any news. And bluntly, Cuba and the Middle East peace process isn't what the people of Sunderland, who voted overwhelmingly for, for Brexit, want to hear either. No, I don't think so. Um, the other interesting thing about this whole thing, though, is, is, is when the, the Brexiteers explained to all the people in Sunderland that they're not going to close the border either, yeah. that's when this is going to get very interesting. This morning, see, this morning, in no time at all, while most people are still in bed, Dan Hannan was out saying people who think that immigration is going to be cut are going to be disappointed. Nigel Farage saying that the promise of £350 million a week for the NHS was a mistake and it shouldn't have been made. Uh, and in fact, somebody's... Uh, here we are. Uh, Mohammed is uh, sent a question to say, I don't think all voters have fully understood the consequence of the Leave vote. We're just not going to get what the Brexiteers have been promising. They no, well, they might close the border to Polish migration. But, you know, you had Pretty Patel going around telling, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, Indian and Pakistani communities, well, you've had all these problems getting in your relatives. Well, you know, we'll be able to get those in for you. What, what's going to happen is that uh, most people I speak to who've spent any time governing the country is that you will swap Eastern European low-skilled migration for people from Bangladesh, which, again, is not what I think people in Sunderland have been voting for. And, and especially because, to get to David Cameron's uh, now famous, although presumably now totally droppable, target of getting... I don't think that's going to form part of a platform of for thousands. any of the Conservative but leadership candidates. to though. get there, you needed to get it to under 100,000. Well, immigration from outside the EU is over 100,000 at the moment. Yep. So, so the idea that you could get there while also allowing more Commonwealth countries... and Well, exactly. And Farage, I think, was asked about this during the campaign, and he was asked whether he'd let the, the sort of family relations in. And he said, yes, he would. But that apparently amounts to about 45,000 people yeah. a year. So that that's sort of half of your total before you even get there. What a mess. What a mess. Right, uh, before we uh, we'll just touch on Scotland in a sec, if you've got any questions about business or the economy or what's happening on the stock market... Uh, and find <laughs> do, a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do get in touch. We'll uh, have a go with that. Just very quickly, Scotland. So Nicola Sturgeon has spotted an opportunity there. Good She's Lord. now come out and said uh, this is quite obviously the conditions that we need, that she needs to call a, a second referendum on Scottish independence. Well, you do surprise me, Matthew. I mean, this is the perfect result for the SNP. Alex Salmon was able to sit on the telly last night going, look at us, we've got 70% for, for Remain in Scotland. Look at you terrible English people, how you haven't managed to do this. On quite low turnout, um, the absolute stone-cold best result, every part of Scotland voted to stay, uh, but not in sufficient numbers that it yeah. saved David Cameron or the Remain campaign, and now they've got the perfect excuse to do what they want. And, you know, David Cameron is probably looking at, you know, being blamed for that as well. And, you know, no, actually, those obits we talked If about. we could just get back up on the screen the, uh, the map uh, that we were just looking at, because what's really interesting about this is the the, the way that the blue of uh, Remain is basically just London, Scotland, and then odd sort of patches. It looks a bit like Germany in the 1960s, where with London as sort of West Berlin in this island of uh, of alternative views. And so on that on that map, and this is the map we've got on the the Times.co.uk. The very dark blue is the highest level of. Uh, the main vote and the very dark yellow uh, is the very highest uh, leave. And I think that's what's really surprised people. There's a cross, it's this sort of lethal coalition of Tory shires yep. and wor- working class labour areas of the north. And they both wanted out. And yep. and actually, it turns out the Cameron, Osborne, scare mongering just didn't Well, reach I them. mean, it's interesting. They didn't just scare the white working class, they scared sort of 
they tried to scare Middle England and it, it didn't it just didn't work. Yeah, yeah. They weren't having it. I think Beaconsfield, which is one of the richest places in southern England, voted for Brexit, which is, you know, a very telling statistic. The place where Disraeli came from, you know, the the father of one nation conservatism and they said no thanks, Dave. I think one nation might be one nation conservative might be dead on several fronts. Not least because we're barely one nation now. Well, if we've got less than seven by the early next week, we'll be doing quite well. <laughs> I think. So let's just, um, uh, let's just talk about the stock market because it was extraordinary overnight. There was a brief moment where the pound seemed to be strengthening, and then it suddenly suddenly it appeared to dawn on the our great friends of the city that actually this was going the wrong way. And it if there is an upside at all to any of this, it is that. A lot of people in the city yesterday invested tens of millions of pounds in gambling on a Remain vote, and they bet the wrong way. I mean, there was talk of hedge fund managers doing their own exit polls at vast expense well, with a 10-point lead for Remain. But what's the point? I mean, if they a, put a lethal combination that, of people in the city who don't know what they're doing, yeah. asking people in polling who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, and journalists who and don't know which day we the don't know what, We don't know what's going on. Because we're, we're just talking to all the same people. Chomping on Haribo's at four o'clock in the morning while we watch the pound The pound slump to its lowest level for 30 years. Yeah, I think, I, and I think it's the biggest fall of any major currency ever or something. Yeah. I mean, it makes Black Wednesday look like a sort of because Tea Party. I mean, the, the you know everyone assumes the pound will kind of find its natural level and will will rebound a bit at some point. And the good thing about not Those being of in us the going Euro, on holiday to France in a, well, a month's time, we're um, we're in all sorts of trouble. Yeah. yeah, those of us that left money in our American bank accounts are looking a bit tastier this morning. Well, I'm really pleased for you. I'm really glad. No, it's I'm really, really glad. not enough. Um, Ashley says, "Are we going to have another recession?" Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Um, as I was going on to say, I mean, you know, the pound will find its level. People think that might help exports and all the rest of it. And there'll be some hope of, uh, you know, uh, what Boris calls the sort of, you know, the Nike tick. So we're in the we're in the slump at the minute and then we'll get the uptick later. But, you know, it depends who you believe. But pretty well, everybody thinks that GDP will be smaller and there's a there's a chance of it. Um it's very important for the people who are going to end up running this country to try and do this thing in an orderly fashion and show that they can take advantage of the situation that they've now been presented with. I think an argument that some people didn't find very persuasive was that if you suddenly dump people in Brussels and European judges, you're still stuck with British judges and yeah. British bureaucrats slipping red tape onto things that where well, it's not required. You know, it'd be nice if we could build an airport, wouldn't it, to maximise our opportunities? That's dead now, isn't it? Heathrow, well, there's, there's, there's literally no, no prospect of them putting Heathrow through before we've got a new Prime Minister, you know, not least because there's a decent chance it would be Boris Johnson and his first act in power would be to reverse that decision on the the mechanics of how this all comes about john roberts says will cameron whoever the new leader is actually honor the british public who voted leave or is he likely to say no we're a man i mean it's going to take a a bold new tory leader to say i think we should stay no i, th- I think uh, it's almost inconceivable that anyone will make that argument it's fundamentally anti- anti-democratic and uh, one of the things we were going to move on to talk about the other reason why I don't think that will happen is that there has now been reaction from Brussels, yeah. what they call the five presidents have issued a statement, and they've effectively said, we would like you to get out as quickly as possible and we don't care how painful it is. Yep. That whole idea of... You Any know, delay would unnecessarily prolong uncertainty, give it give effect to this decision of the British people as soon as possible, however painful that process may be. And they need to send a massive message to every other EU country thinking about going down this road. You are dead to us if you go, you know, Britain, 
we need to kill Britain because we don't want anyone else thinking that that's where the good life exactly. lies. Exactly. You'll find the Danes and the Dutch sitting there thinking, well, can, can't we have a referendum of our own? There's a sizable bunch of people in France and Germany that think that way as well. So they're effectively saying, you're not going to get any extra deal. There won't be a second referendum. We're not going to chuck more concessions at you like we used to do with other countries. You are too big and we just don't want the psychodrama. So if you could please you know, get out and close the door behind you, that would be splendid. And because so much time and effort has been taken up in Brussels as well, you know, they've got the migrant crisis to deal with, they still need to sort out the Eurozone, you know, we've forgotten about all that, but the Eurozone economy is still in a mess. Vitalia asks, is there going to be a second referendum? Because the Leave vote was not convinced. But it was very tight. It is only 51.8%. It's not a stonking Leave. No, no, that's right. But these things are... But it's still a million people. Yeah. I mean, the short answer is I don't think there is for the reasons that we've just been talking about. You know, what that would require would be some kind of cooperation from Brussels to come up with something new. But, you know, there will now be a renegotiation. There will be a renegotiation of sorts. And it's not impossible that the deal that we get as, as as part of leaving, could, could get put to a referendum. I don't quite see what the purpose of that would be myself, but um, in that I don't think they would give us anything else. Um, but no, I think that's probably that's an avenue that's probably closing off. So, what do you think? Where do we? Where are we in twelve months' time? We end up with uh, we'll definitely have a new prime minister, probably Boris. I think that's the most likely outcome. Um, it's not, you know, Boris has put a lot of people's backs up. There are a lot of people who are very angry with him. Um, they think that the reasons that he uh, picked for, for making this decision were, were not honourable. But equally, a lot of people think that he was... That a, all seems like a long time ago well, that he could it does, have, gone, up, you know, could he have seems, gone either way. People think that he was... I think a lot of people think he was gutsy. And, you know, apart from a couple of pretty vile missteps, Hitlergate, you know, springs to mind, um, he has looked a bit more solid and a lot of people have been out on the road with him and seen the you know the frankly astonishing have. effect that he has and yeah, you know yeah. you and I both know there's no other politician in Britain who comes close to that yeah. and as long as the opinion polls tell Tory MPs that this guy is in play and don't forget he has wooed you know these same working class voters and if you're yeah. looking for a Tory leader who can appeal beyond the existing gene pool of the Conservative Party he's got more chance of doing that than Theresa May in my opinion. And does actually know how Brussels works because he worked there as a journalist. Absolutely. Which might, uh, yeah. which might come in useful for him as well. Uh, listen I think we're run out of time amazingly it's flown by we are inching close to the point where both of us might be able to go to sleep well good for you I've got about (laughs) 5,000 words to write as ever you can subscribe to the Red Box podcast via iTunes on your Android device and you can sign up to the Red Box email which I do Monday to Friday and Tim does on a Sunday which rounds up all the politics stuff that you need to know and cuts out the boring bits so you can sign up to that at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Red Box email thank you for posting your questions Uh, there's a if you want to know what's really going on in the stock market and the economy reacting to what's happened uh, there's a business podcast which is coming out uh, from the times uh, later on today uh, but for now tim best of luck with your weekend i look forward to seeing your you, your, your output on sunday and uh, yes off we head into the uncertain choppy waters brave new world thank you for downloading to discover more head to thetimes.co.uk